This is my wife, Gunner. Oh, I've heard so much about the Gunner. It's almost as if I'd seen you before. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. I can't take any more today. Just tell me about it as it happened, will you? Well, I went back for We were married in Indianapolis, and now we're with you again. Married, huh? Yeah, where's Drake? He's waiting to congratulate you. Hang on to her for me, will you? I gotta get some dope. Hello, and welcome to The Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture. I'm Susan Raslin. I'm David Daw. And this week we are on our second 1938 movie with Test Pilot, starring Clark Gable, Myrna Loy, and Spencer Tracy in a wild ass movie. <laughs> I'm trying to check off in my head all the like bad signs in the first 20 minutes of this movie. Spoiler alert, it ends up being a really pretty good to great movie. <laughs> But in the first 20 minutes, this is Spencer Tracy in essentially the same role he played in San Francisco. Down to being Clark Gable's best friend. <laughs> right, down to being Clark Gable's best friend that has this weird love-hate sexual tension with him and his romantic interest. We've got Myrna Loy in what seems at first like something very similar to the one part where we ever didn't like her, which is supporting wife that's going to make sure this piece of shit feels okay all the time. <laughs> yeah, basically. And then we've got Clark Gable in a what seems like romantic comedy role that doesn't realize that you have to kind of kick him in the nuts repeatedly for Clark Gable to have romantic comedy energy. Like he's so smug, you gotta take him down a peg. Right. And then... It just turns out you're watching this wildly different movie where all three of those actors not only work, they're kind of the only possible casting. I think going through the plot is going to show the waving red flags because, wow, the first 20 or 30 minutes of this movie, how long is it? Oh, it's like almost two hours. Yeah. So yeah, I would say like the first 20 or 30 minutes, I, I was like... What am I watching? This is totally ludicrous and unbelievable and, frankly, straining credulity to the point of absurdity. So Clark Gable is this test pilot, and he's apparently the best test pilot ever because, of course, he is, who crash lands in Kansas, which was apparently the only midwest state that the 1930s knew existed <laughs> and he's on a farm and he meets this girl and played by myrna loy he can't immediately leave because he crash landed his plane and so it's first thing in the morning and they basically go on this like super cute all-day date spencer tracy comes to pick him up spencer tracy by the way is playing a character named gunner and Gunner is the best friend and mechanic of Clark Gable's character. And all of that sounds like, God, I, sh I fucking am going to hate this guy, aren't I? Except you don't. Gunner's great. Gunner is great. I actually was really confused when 30 minutes into the movie, I still liked Spencer Tracy. So Clark Gable, we already know from a very brief intro scene, is this like drinking womanizing son of a bitch. So him going out with Myrna Loy on this all-day date is like, well, yeah, of course, that's what he does. But she's going on a date with the guy she is supposed to marry when Spencer Tracy comes to pick him up. And Clark Gable is like, nope, not leaving. Then 
Myrna Lloyd comes back and is like, so surprise, I'm engaged to the guy that I've been dating and don't really like because the date that we had today showed me everything that I was missing and my whole dream in life to get out of Kansas and like do something exciting and have romance. And now that I've had that, I realized that it's not a realistic thing to want, so I got engaged to this Baxter. Huh? <laughs> it is never clear to me, and I think this is a real credit to Myrna Loy, when Anne is and isn't doing some reverse psychology shit on Jim. It is not clear at this point. Yeah. Because it's the first time we have seen her do that. Clark Gable is like, well, what do you want me to do? Tell you that I love you? And she says, no, I would never ask that. I would never do it. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm sitting on the couch going... They met this morning. Yeah. Literally this morning. <laughs> like, this is the apex of, oh God, this movie. Yeah, oh, for me too. This part right in here was when I was like, oh, fuck. And then, like, they're going to get together. The movie's going to be this romantic comedy. It's going to be like, um, what was that movie we watched where they got married weirdly early in the movie and then never told each other anything? And he, like, ended up doing a- Oh, Bad Girl. Yeah. <laughs> right, that's why I couldn't remember the title. The title has nothing to do with the film. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I, I thought it was going to be, like, structured like Bad Girl, where they were going to get together fairly early on, and then the whole rest of the movie was going to be these artificial conflicts before they were happy at the end. Right. And, like, no. <laughs> no. So then the next morning comes, and Clark Gable has to fly out, and he's like- all right, bye, kid. I'm out of here. I'll never see you again. And so he flies off, and she starts crying, and Gunner is comforting her, and is like, no, you'll see. It's for the best. He's terrible, actually. <laughs> and then Gunner is gone, and Clark Gable comes back and says he forgot his hat, uh, which he did not. <laughs> A thing that is great about this movie is that people constantly have to explain to Clark Gable how he feels about anything, because he's so busy being Clark Gable. <laughs> That he constantly does things and then people go, that was an emotional reaction. And he goes, no, that can't be it. I must be missing a scarf or something. <laughs> nope, you did not forget your hat. You weren't wearing a hat. No, he's actually physically wearing his hat because he's wearing his like little flight goggles. Yeah, I mean, he has like the flight. I guess it's a helmet, but it's really like a leather cap, whatever. Anyway, the next scene that we see them in is... Clark Gable telling Spencer Tracy that they got married in Indiana and Myrna Loy has come to wherever it is that they are stationed slash work. It seems like, and this took me a while to work out, because the first scene is very clearly in California, mm -hmm. but it seems like he continued on the path he was going to go on before the mechanical troubles that like led him to meet Anne and landed in New York, and then they all settled down in New York when they get to the like settling down Clark Gable fast talking his way into not having a down payment for the apartment sequence. But I thought they were in Indianapolis. No, they go to Indianapolis specifically for that race. Okay. They live in New York. Do they? Yeah, because there's that part where they say they're going through Brooklyn when Gunner gets really drunk. Oh, okay. 
None of this actually really matters that much because there's not a lot of New York stuff. For sure, no. So then you're sitting here watching this movie going, oh my god, they just Romeo and Julieted, but they're like grown adults. And then there's some like comedic stuff about how Clark Gable only has $10 to his name and they go to try to get an apartment and the woman wants the money for a month up front, but they're like, no, Clark Gable is charming. We could just get it to you later because there's a big flight race that he knows that he's going to win and the prize is $10,000. And there's like a bit with them going out and doing things and trying not to spend more money than the $10 that he has, including buying a nightgown for her, which I think was supposed to be like cutely racy, like, oh, go buy your wife a nightgown in the lingerie department, but code. (laughs) I think because it has to be this code scene, it becomes this other scene that I found really entertaining, which was that Myrna Loy takes every opportunity to undercut her husband, which is great because he sucks. And so it becomes this thing of like, you know how to do this, right? Go to the ladies department and buy a nightgown for your wife. And he's like, yeah, of course I can. Would you, I'd need to go to the lingerie department. I gotta go. (laughs) By lingerie. And then she's like, underwear. Yeah. Because, <laughs> yeah, he doesn't actually know what lingerie is or even how to say it. Then they go to Indianapolis for the race, which was, at this point, the timeline for me is not super clear, but it did seem like it was literally the next day. So they've known each other now for three days and been married for two. It's actually weird in this other way. <laughs> Where the whole reason he only has $10 to his name is he comes back and gets himself fired because he keeps insisting on having an extra week of a honeymoon that he is going to take before this race. Okay, so they've been married for a week by the time they get to the race. Yes, it is not the immediate following Thursday, but the Thursday after that. That's the fight with the boss. And so it's like a week and a half after they met. Yeah, so they go to Indianapolis and then prepping for the race, of course, there is this thing where he is talking to like another pilot and meets his family. He knows the family, but he introduces the family to Myrna Loy and it's like two little kids and the wife and they all are excited about going to Italy on a trip. And he is so marked for death even outside of that. Oh yeah, totally. And they talk about it. They're like, he's not a good enough pilot to do this or something. Like, I don't remember exactly what the conversation is, but at some point they're saying like, I can't believe that he's in this because he's totally not out for it he also just like looks like he's gonna die like he just looks like a normal middle-aged dad except very small (laughs) yes like inferior to clark gable in every possible way (laughs) but just like a kind of doughy middle-aged dad who's like this is it this is my big break i finally caught a break you guys i'll see you out there in the race and you're like oh fuck right because we already met his wife (laughs) yep And his two small children, and they're talking about going to Italy. Like, that guy is doomed. Yeah. So, they're watching the race, Gunner and Myrna Loy, Gunner being Spencer Tracy, and Clark Gable's plane catches on fire, (laughs) but he still keeps flying because he's going to win this race, which, of course, he wins. And then, of course, the other dude crashes and dies. And then Clark Gable's character kind of does the only nice thing that he does in the whole movie, which is go to see 
the widow of the guy who died and makes up this thing about how he and the husband had had this plan that if either one of them won, they would split the purse. And the wife knows that this is bullshit, but eventually Clark Gable convinces her to take the $5,000. And then they go out partying. Yeah, he goes on such a bender, the logistics of it are totally lost on me. (laughs) They're in Cincinnati. Where is the race again? Indianapolis. Indianapolis. And he has them leave. Honestly, the movie like takes a turn here and you think it's going to take a turn where this is where the movie's going to fall apart because like he's just this terrible drunk. And there's this whole thing about I've met my rival, the other woman, Lady Sky. And you're like, oh boy, this is a lot. Oh yeah, well, he gets super wasted and apparently doesn't remember that Myrna Loy is his wife. Well, also goes on a four-day bender and ends up in Chicago, but also references a third city that he thought he was in. Detroit. (laughs) Right. But he does have this whole monologue about how Lady Sky is this, like, bitch that he's gotta tame. And she punches him and then he, he hits her right back. And uh, it's real fucking weird and violent and, like, kind of misogynistic. For sure. And then the worst part of the movie, absolutely 100% for sure, is the part where Myrna Loy tells Gunner to tell Clark Gable that, like, he can slap her around, too. She would want that. That's not what she says. She says, Gunner, and he says, yeah. And she says, tell him I want him to hit me. And I was like, that's fucked up. Yeah. And then I was like, well, is it? Or is it, like, kind of kinky? No, because one, that is not what she means. I don't know. Their whole relationship is, like, some serious, like, full-time lifestyle BDSM shit. Not in a healthy way, (laughs) mind you. Well, yeah, and also that's not really my, I, I don't know, I that is not my read of what is going on there. I think that's like kind of what Myrna Loy is trying to do to make it work. She definitely delivers it like it's sexy. Yes, but that's what I'm saying, is that it isn't for her. Like, it also very clearly isn't sexy for her at all. This is where we get into this whole thing where she has decided on this bizarre, tragic three roads metaphor. Either he's gonna stay on the ground for her and he's gonna be miserable and their marriage is gonna be miserable because of that. Or she's gonna leave him because she can't take it anymore and she's gonna be miserable because she loves him. Or he's gonna die up there because like this is so dangerous and he will inevitably die from being a test pilot. And, like, it becomes this, like, weird slow-motion nervous breakdown psychological portrait of Myrna Loy trapped in this... It's not an abusive relationship, but it's, like, a tragic relationship that she sees coming. And, like, that everybody sees coming except for Clark Gable, because he's an idiot. (laughs) I don't know. I think it's pretty abusive, to be honest. I, I mean, I... Yes... It is more that it is not directly abusive. Like, the movie makes very clear that he is, in fact, this idiot that keeps thinking he's doing something that's making her happy, that he genuinely doesn't understand why she is upset, 
which doesn't make it better, like doesn't make it a healthy relationship and doesn't mean she should stick around necessarily. There's so much time spent on like Jim Lane's like state of mind and what he thinks he's doing to try and be helpful and like why he isn't helpful at all. Yeah, Jim Lane, by the way, being Clark Gable, I don't know that we've ever actually named him. Right, because he's just Clark Gable. When the film starts, or I guess like at the beginning of their relationship, I do feel like going on a multi-day, multi-city bender and spending or losing, it's never really clear, $5,000 is like a pretty terrible abusive thing. And he shows up at their apartment after Spencer Tracy takes him home. And there's a whole thing where he acts like really defensive. And she's like, I'm done. I'm over. And he's like, yeah, I knew that was going to be the case. And then somehow it sort of changes. And she's like, no, really, I don't want to break up. Let's do this for real. And he's just kind of like, I wouldn't say that he's fine with it either way. It's just that when she leaves him, he's like, yeah, I knew this was going to happen. This is terrible. You suck. And then when she's like, oh, no, actually, it's cool. I want to get back together. He's like, yeah, I knew. I knew you were joking. I knew that we would get back together and everything would be fine. (laughs) And then he proceeds to, like, try to do what he thinks a good husband would do, which apparently involves, like, riding amusement park rides with his wife and best friend and doing a lot of, like, really sweet romantic dates that for some reason involve Spencer Tracy. (laughs) Also, for some reason, Spencer Tracy lives with them, which also seems very weird. Yeah, it's it's a little weird, yeah. But also he is taking every job he can find because his understanding of why he was a shitty husband was that he lost the money and not that the pressure of the job is so high that he is an alcoholic who is constantly kind of wishing for death um, because he doesn't have the emotional self-awareness to understand that about himself. Yeah. And so he is trying to be the breadwinner By doing more and more test pilot jobs while she is having a complete nervous breakdown every time he is off the ground. Yes, and keeps having dreams about him dying and then will wake up and be like, oh, he's still alive. But her whole mindset is that, and Spencer Tracy has really planted this in her head, that it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Yeah, and unlike in San Francisco, that does not play as like, Listen, you never should have married my best friend because he's a worthless piece of crap and, like, I have a weird thing for you. It plays as genuinely Gunner is so tired from having done this whole thing himself for years and years and years that he is genuinely, like, trying to help Anne. Yeah. There's definitely a, a, like, bisexual subtext to this movie that I don't think is, it's not like at the level of stage door or anything, but there's a moment where Anne has this, like, total breakdown about it, and she's like, why am I staying with him? And Spencer Tracy has this whole, like, yeah, I've asked myself the same thing, and it's just that I can't imagine my life without him, that no one is as fun as he is. And I'm kind of like, he's not that fun. It's just no one is as hot as he is. <laughs> yeah. It does play as sometimes Gunner being this weird emotional interpreter in a, like, poly three relationship. Where, like, he is the only person who seems to be able to, like, get Clark Gable to understand 
even the most basics of other people having emotional reactions to things. Right, right. And he is also the only person that can explain to Myrna Loy why Clark Gable is constantly acting like a crazy person. It's still an unhealthy relationship with all three people. Like, if you're even if you're doing that interpretation, that like this is a three person relationship and they are like all needed for the whole thing to function. It's still a dysfunctional, terrible relationship. Yeah, I mean, not least of all because Clark Gable does not actually have any emotional awareness at all. And so, I mean, like you were saying at the beginning, that he has these reactions that he doesn't even understand are because he's upset about something. I think it plays as largely platonic, and I think it's meant to play as largely platonic, but there's that, like scene where Spencer Tracy is like wrapping up his chest before he's about to go on like a test flight and they kind of have this like weird quarrel that like gets resolved by them like telling each other they love each other and it plays as this mirror to his relationship with Myrna Loy. I mean, like I said, it's not cut and dry, but there is definitely a feeling of, is Spencer Tracy in love with Clark Gable or is he in love with Myrna Loy? And the answer is yes. Well, I also think like a thing that plays out here is that unlike being the weird kind of like lustful energy from San Francisco, there is not a sense that Spencer Tracy is here giving Myrna Loy advice on leaving Clark Gable so he can get with her. It is not a romantic kind of love in that way, or like at least not a possessively romantic love. No, but there's also the feeling that if she leaves Clark Gable, or at least there was for me, she and Gunner would still be together, at least in this like platonic romance, this sort of supportive whatever it was. I don't know. I got way more of an energy that like if if she left, then Spencer Tracy and Clark Gable go back to having their like weird codependent thing they have going on in the first 10 minutes of the movie. And she just goes back to Kansas. Definitely in the middle it was like that, but by the end it was very much like she was obviously extremely dependent on Spencer Tracy. Yeah, I could see that. The very last scene that they have together, in fact... They're both going to do this test flight for some army plane, and they're, like, taking up a whole lot of sandbags to test, I guess, how much weight it can take, because it's going to be a bomber. Which, apparently, this was actually, like, the prototype of the B-17 bomber that they would use extensively in World War II. She's hugging Clark Gable, and over his shoulder mouths, hello, at... Spencer Tracy. And that was the moment where I was like, oh, this is a three-way relationship and a three-way romantic relationship, but not a three-way sexual relationship. Yeah. I know this all sounds really weird and like we're reaching, and it is super wild how explicit this is for a movie from 1938. There's definitely still plausible deniability. Gunner's just a best friend that's just real committed to his best friend. But it is wild how much this movie kind of functions around the three of them being in this weird codependent relationship together. And that was really the moment where I was like, she is now as dependent on Spencer Tracy as she is on Clark Gable. And there's a fight that happens there where Spencer Tracy and some other dude get in a scrap right before the flight. 
And I had to rewind it because I was like, oh, did I miss something where, like, that dude said some shit to Spencer Tracy about, oh, well, Clark Gable's girl just mouthed something to you. And that didn't happen. But it was, like, so explicit that that occurred that I thought that was the reason for the fight. Instead, it's the third act thing with Gunner is that he is breaking down from trying to be the, like, emotional buffer between the two of them. He's keeping the secret that Myrna Loy knows the whole thing is doomed, and she's like, please, please don't tell Clark Gable I mean my husband Jim Lane. Yeah. (laughs) And he is constantly like, she loves when I fly. I gotta keep flying for her. I'm doing it for her, Gunner. And he's just like, I. what is the most alcoholic medicinal product I can buy on the market right now? <laughs> yes. And just drinking so much Clark Gable's like, Gunner, slow down, which is a sign. It definitely is. <laughs> And so he is, like, drinking and fighting and just having this breakdown because he can't do this anymore. Which, like, fair, because this sucks. (laughs) And the thing is, we know from the beginning that Clark Gable and Spencer Tracy used to, like, go out and pull girls together. So it's not like Gunner was always the sidekick. He definitely was dating other women. And then all of a sudden, Myrna Loy comes into their life and, like, he's the girlfriend role to Myrna Loy. They very directly imply the alcohol is kind of this, like, release valve for the constant overwhelming dread of dying to Lady Sky. Yes. And it's also kind of implied that womanizing was also the release valve to that. Right. Especially in the scene with uh, Lionel Barrymore's character at the very end after we get through this sequence where they go up in the bomber and test it to its very limits. 30,000 feet. My God, what technology can do. It is 1938, so, you know. One of the things that I think is, like, lost watching this in the modern day is all the scenes with planes. I'm like, am I supposed to be impressed with this plane? Was this, like, super cutting edge? It took me a while to realize this movie was set in the present day, that it was a 1938 movie, in terms of in-universe. Right. So they get to 30,000 feet, and then just miscellaneous something goes wrong. It's too high up, but somehow it being too high up causes the straps holding the sandbags in place to come loose, and they start shifting to one side, which unbalances the plane, which causes the plane to go into a tailspin. They go into a tailspin in this super-duper inconvenient way where they tear the sheet metal of the, like, outside of the bomber just so that it pins Spencer Tracy into his seat. Well, it's the section between the cockpit and where the bomb would be held, where they have all the sandbags. So all the sandbags are crushing him and the sheet metal is, for some reason, only on his side of the cockpit. Is it bent? Yeah. Clark Gable then is, like, trying to throw all these sandbags out of the top of the plane, which is, like, it's a bomber. Why don't you just open the... I mean, maybe they didn't have that part yet. But I'm like, just open the bomb dropping hatch thing. Yeah. That was my thought. But I also did just watch the Catch-22 miniseries, so there was a lot of, like, watching... (sighs) bombing happening (laughs) that scene is weird for a couple of reasons but it's really just it's here for spencer tracy to tragically die yes clark gable tries to land the plane because he won't leave spencer tracy crash lands it but gunner is too badly injured 
and like in the most okay but what is their relationship thing in the whole movie his like final message is to give Anne a kiss it sure is I definitely thought his final message was going to be like buddy friend have a single ounce of emotional awareness and stop constantly terrifying your wife that this will happen to you. But he really doesn't talk about that at all. Nope. <laughs> Instead, he's just like, make out with Myrna Loy, <laughs> double thumbs up, and then dies. <laughs> double thumbs up. <laughs> and, uh... uh- of course, the whole Clark Gable thing is he's like, damn it, you jackass, you can't die. It's like not the most tender of reactions. Then when he realizes that Spencer Tracy is actually going to die, then he becomes upset about it. Right, but he also becomes... Ish. Yeah. <laughs> so then there's this weird scene where he goes home and it rocks, by the way, and Myrna Loy is great in it. But it's this bizarre scene where he goes home and Myrna Loy, who has clearly been weeping on the bed, just screams, it should have been you. Why couldn't it have been you? Why won't you just die and release me from this hell? <laughs> yeah, it's it's intense. Yeah. Even that is not enough for Clark Gable to put two and two together of what's happening. And he rushes off to work where he's going to double down on doing work again. And then there's this interesting scene where he has a conversation with Drake, who we have not talked about much. Drake is Lionel Barrymore's character who was like in charge of the test pilot company at the start of the movie. And then he and Clark Gable have this big fight in act two. And then they like make up and he's his boss again. And you can never really get a very good read on Drake because he's very withdrawn about everything and is very like, hup, hup business. Uh, It seems silly, my boy. Like, why are we still fighting after a man died? But like, not because a man died, because it just made it very clear that there's no profit in it. (laughs) Yes. And even in this scene, Clark Gable comes in and does this like very backhandy, like, your plane sucks at 30,000 feet and it killed my best friend. And Drake's like, safe at 28, you say? Yes. But then Drake starts showing this weird amount of emotional awareness about kind of doing this reverse psychology like you gotta go home and tell your wife like really leads him to water like real slow here's the thing about wives is like when you go home tonight and she's there are you going to feel better about the world than you would if she wasn't and he's like well yeah of course I would of course I would she knows that of course I would (laughs) And <laughs> tell her. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're just like, well, maybe you should tell her that. Yeah, uh, spelling it out for you, pal. And then, as soon as he leaves, calls up Anne and says the most intelligent thing anybody says in this movie, which is. He can't be a test pilot anymore because he is in love with you. And he himself does not know that. But also, don't try and tell him. (laughs) That will not be in any way effective. (laughs) Instead, he's going to come to that one on his own. And I'm just not going to let him fly anymore while he figures it out. Right, and he's going to find himself working on the ground. And in fact, he does. And we get our weird happy ending scene where he... Oh, but you forgot the part where Clark Abel comes home after that. 
And Myrna Loy is like, I'm leaving. <laughs> and somehow this eventually ends up with, okay, not really, because you figured out that you love me. I, I wait, d- is that then? I thought she did that in the before part where she's screaming at him, really understandably. And when he comes, I I just sort of, I, don't, I barely remember the scene where he comes home before we do the flash forward to him working for the Air Corps. I do think that actually that happens afterward, because I remember being like, what in the hell? Aren't they supposed to like make up? Oh, I guess it's like a callback. I guess it's a callback to when she screamed she was leaving him in the second act. Yes. (laughs) And I guess I just blocked it out because that is a terrible part of the movie and I quite liked this movie. But he is now a lecturer, essentially, for the Air Corps and is on the ground telling all the pilots what to do. And Gunner, the whole movie, has had this ritual where he, like, chews gum but and then he, like, leaves a piece of the gum on the plane every time Clark Gable goes up as like a good luck charm. And we see that Clark Gable has taken that on and now does that for all the pilots in the Air Corps that he oversees. And then we go, they have somehow had a kid and they're making it work. (laughs) Yep. And then that's it. That's the whole movie. It kind of works. I don't know how. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, this is definitely a movie that tries to do too much and does not accomplish all of it. Like, this is not a lost masterpiece in the sense of, like, you've got to do this weird non-standard read where they're in, like, a a three-way relationship for a lot of this to work. I still think, as written, Spencer Tracy's character is kind of supposed to be the, like, sexless best friend character that constantly props up the main guy and goes, like, oh, no, 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 he's kind of, he's great, and, like, kind of acts as his conscience sometimes, He's the wacky best friend, mm-hmm. but instead he plays it as the emotional heart of the film. Yeah, and I, I think that's down to Spencer Tracy being a, a scene stealer, really, which ends up making a more interesting and complicated movie, but ends up making not the movie that they set out to make. Well, more specifically, like, makes it so part of the production notes on the Wikipedia page is that Clark Gable and Myrna Loy got along just fine, but Clark Gable fucking hated Spencer Tracy because all of these scenes that were supposed to be about Clark Gable's character suddenly became about Spencer Tracy's emotional journey dealing with Clark Gable. And that's certainly not a misplaced criticism on Clark Gable's part. Yeah, for sure. Whenever they're on screen together, I care way more about Spencer Tracy than I do about Clark Gable. If only because he's the character that, like, has the potential to change. Well, he has some emotional depth, whereas Clark Gable's character, he's handsome and impulsive, and probably when you're on the bender with him is a lot of fun. But, I mean, he has the emotional capacity and the impulse control of a seven-year-old. I mean, I... I wrote a note when I was watching it of, God, I'm glad that I sobered up before I started dating my now husband. (laughs) Because I really related a lot to Claire Cable's character (laughs) from the days when I drank. But yeah, I mean, he just, uh, he, he has no idea what is going on in the interior lives of anyone else. Whereas Spencer Tracy seems very much burdened with the knowledge of knowing everyone's interior. Not that I think that Gunner would see that as a burden, but he is burdened by it. Yeah. 
like I say, I've been making fun of the like Lady Sky stuff because I don't think that entirely works. And I think a lot of the stuff that does work is like, I think Myrna Loy is also doing some non-standard reads on some stuff. I think she's playing around with how savvy Anne is about stuff more than the script does, I think. I think the script kind of writes Anne as a more passive character than Myrna Loy makes her. And she definitely does that, I think, from the beginning. Like, when she first crashes in Kansas, their first interaction is sort of, like, bratty flirty. But when they get to the house, she has a real adult presence when she's talking about how this is the room that you would be staying in if you were stuck here like this is the guest room and he's really like trying to push this flirtation with her and she's initially it's not that she's not having it or even that she's not necessarily interested she's just like look yes i'm a girl but also like i can read (laughs) yeah i'm not just an object she is in fact a college graduate And laughs at the suggestion that he might be. Yeah, I love the scene with her parents where uh, her dad is bragging about what an exceptional student he was. And and Clark Abel says, well, I was an exceptional student, too. I uh, went in a sophomore and came out a freshman. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, he's like playing on himself, but he has that kind of bravado that means that he's not really ever thinking of himself poorly. Because if he started to, it would never end. Yeah. I think. Yeah. So much of his life is running away from the things he doesn't like about himself to the point where he has just completely ceased to have any self-knowledge. Yeah. I think all three of those are suggested by the script, but it is the actor that actually makes that work. What we're saying about, like, who Gunner is and who Anne is and who Jim Lane slash who are we kidding, it's just Clark Gable is, right. is all so dependent on them as actors that it really kind of had to be them. This is kind of gets back to what we were saying about Man from Uncle last week about why Henry Cavill is a good choice for that part because you inherently trust him, even though the character is inherently untrustworthy. Right. And all three of them are kind of playing against type in an interesting way that makes this movie work in a way I don't think it does on paper. Because on paper, this is a tragic love story where the guy who is responsible for the tragedy is just a complete piece of shit who ruins the lives of everyone around him. I wouldn't even say that it doesn't play that way. It's just that because it's Clark Gable and because he is able to have this balance of both childlike energy and enthusiasm and like incredible sexiness that never feels like he's being infantilized you roll with it and you're like you want him to come out on top even though he's a total mess and is screwing up everybody's life it's just sad that spencer tracy has to be sacrificed for that to happen and i guess it's kind of sad that myrna loy has to like never be up front with him in order to get anything that she wants it seems like in that last scene that is no longer the case but well no not really (laughs) i was like i didn't get that but okay (laughs) No, it, it mostly just seems like she has gotten extremely good at the, like, kindergarten-level reverse psychology it takes to manipulate Jim Lane. Yeah. That, but I, I was going to say she can just be honest and open with him, but, like, no, she can just consistently lie in one way and it always works, which is very different. Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> 
should we rate this movie? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, I, I think I'm gonna give it. Hmm. I'm gonna give it a seven. I was torn between a six and a seven because it is a movie that has like some pretty poor lessons in it. I, I mean, yes, and like I think the ending is kind of troubling. I don't think it gets you on board for the first almost forty minutes. It's really that race scene that is the first time I'm like really full on on board for this movie. Right. And that's a third of the way through the film. Yeah. What is good about it is often that it is better than it has any right to be, which is it's hard to get to attend that way, you know? Yeah. I mean, I enjoyed it once it got me. But yeah, it does take a while to get there. And I think also the performances were really, really great. And it was definitely down to those actors, which, I mean, I don't think you can take points off for being like, well, if they had missed cast this, it wouldn't have worked because like, you know, they did the work of casting it right. Yeah. Uh, So yeah, seven, seven, I think works. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of it that doesn't ever, I was going to say, get off the ground. And then I did anyway. So sorry for that pun. But um, there is a lot of it that doesn't ever get off the ground. But what does really soars? Ah, okay. I'm sorry. I'll never do this again. Let's. Should we? Should you watch this movie? Should you abort? Abort. Jump out. <laughs> jump out. We're. Just... <laughs> I don't even have a parachute. Uh, should you watch this movie? Here, here's what I'll say. It's free. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. It's available on archive.org for free. It's two hours long, and that's pretty long to commit to a thing that is maybe more interesting than it is good for the first hour. But like, I I, I don't know. I lean toward maybe watch this movie. I've been kind of trying to figure out how to cobble together Gone with the Wind without fucking having to watch Gone with the Wind, because maybe too problematic to not shoot into space is going to be a lot of my review of Gone with the Wind, but there's also a lot of good stuff in there, and like, this is a very, like, Gone with the Windy Clark Gable. There's a real, like, you son of a bitch, and why does she love him, but also I get it, <laughs> Right to this movie- This movie doesn't pass the screen test of time. This isn't a 2019 good movie. But, like, I don't know, there's some stuff in here, and it's free. If you've got two free hours and you, like, want to watch a Clark Gable movie, maybe watch this one. Yeah, I mean, I actually would say watch this movie just for the... It's such an incredible masterclass in how having the right cast can save an absolute disaster. Yeah, it's not a, like, weird miracle movie in the sense that it is fantastic but it is a weird miracle movie in that like how how did this how yeah how does this work yeah because it really really shouldn't and for the first part of it doesn't and then you're like my god they pulled it out i don't know how but they really like they really brought it out of a tailspin a lot of myrna loy's like (laughs) monologues in the back third of this movie i kind of spent going like this is terrible dialogue this is such bad writing. Myrna Loy should not have to say this line. Myrna Loy is fucking killing it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she totally is. Uh, so yeah, I would say actually, you know, watch it. And again, it's free. <laughs> yeah. So next week is uh, The Adventures of Robin Hood. Oh, heck. Starring Errol Flynn as... Uh, uh, oh, it's Robin Hood. Yeah, obviously. 
<laughs> yeah. And what's his name as the uh, sheriff? Basil Rathbone. No. No. Basil Rathbone is some other dude named Sir Guy of Gisborne, and I don't even know who that is. Yeah. But of course, Olivia de Havilland is made married. She was actually born to play that role. Yeah. So tune in next week for that to find out whether or not it's good. <laughs> and uh, until then... This uh, this was a movie. Yeah, I I was kind of trying to figure out some way to qualify that, but no, this was just a movie. I I didn't think it was gonna be for a while there, <laughs> but it was. Goodbye, everybody. Thursday, this is Drake. Say, listen, Thursday. Uh, I've just been talking to Jim. I said terrible thing. Oh, I know all about it. Now, there's nothing to worry about at all. He's on his way home. Now, just listen, Thursday, and I'm going to tell you something you're going to like. He's all through test piloting.